Welcome to A Crash Investigation, the podcast, the show where we dissect the most memorable and forgotten air crashes in aviation history. In this episode, we'll be going over South African Airways Flight 295. I hope you are excited because I am, so without wasting any more time, let us get into it. The aircraft which was flown was the Boeing 747-200B Combi. And basically, this was an aircraft which mixed passengers and cargo onto the main deck. This flight took place on the 27th of November, 1987, and this was still during apartheid. That's very, very important for the investigation. Flight 295 took off from Taipei, Chiang Kai-shek International Airport and was due to land at Jan Smarts International Airport and later renamed O.R. Tambo International Airport. So, not to confuse you, we'll be referring to O.R. Tamba International as Jan Smarts International, even though this is not a nice name to refer to this wonderful airport as. This flight detour to Plaisance Airport in Mauritius, but was later renamed to Sir C. Wogasor Ramgulam International Airport, but we're just gonna refer to it as Plaisance Airport. The flight crew. This flight had five pilots. Number one, 49 year old Captain Davi Ace, who had 13,843 total flight hours. Number two, 36 year old First Officer David Atwell, who had 7,362 total flight hours. Number three, 37 year old Relief First Officer Jeffrey Birchall, who had 8,749 total flight hours. Number four, 45-year-old flight engineer Giuseppe Joe Bellagarda, who had 7,804 flight hours. And finally, 34-year-old relief flight engineer Ellen Daniel, who had 1,595 total flight hours. There were 140 passengers and 6 pilots of cargo on the main deck. The pilots contained computers which were packaged in polystyrene. The total weight of the plane was 47,000 kg or 104,000 pounds. I do want to talk about all the people that were on board the aeroplane and their nationalities in particular because this really does help when it comes to the search efforts. As I had mentioned earlier, there were a total of 140 passengers and 19 crew members, including the flight crew of course. Out of the 140, there were two Australians, one Danish person, one West German, two Hong Kong Chinese people, 47 Japanese people, one South Korean, two Mauritians, one Dutch person, 52 South Africans, but I do have to add that the entire crew was South African, so the entire total of South Africans on board were 71 people, 30 Taiwanese people and one British person. Now it is time for the actual flight. 34 minutes after departure, the cockpit called the Hong Kong Air Traffic Control to get clearance from the waypoint ELATO to the other waypoint ISBAN. At 5 minutes to 4 p.m., the crew made their routine report to South African Airways base in Johannesburg. During the beginning of their landing approach, a fire started in the cargo section of the aeroplane. A quote-unquote smoke evacuation checklist was called for and there was a call for the entire aeroplane to be 
depressurized and only two of the aeroplane's cabin doors to be opened. The cargo fire started to destroy the aircraft's essential electrical systems and this caused a loss of communication and control to the air traffic control. The fire started breaking the actual structure of the aircraft. Then at 7 minutes past 12 a.m., the entire aircraft broke apart mid-air with the tail section breaking off first and then it crashed into the Indian Ocean. It crashed 134 nautical miles, 154 miles or 248 kilometers from Jan Smuts International Airport. Communication was lost for about 37 minutes and as a result, the air traffic control at Placence declared an emergency. The search. This search took long because the last known location of this aeroplane was misunderstood and thus this caused the search for the plane to be concentrated too close to Mauritius instead of South Africa. The US and French navies helped with the immediate search and rescue operations. Surface debris was spotted 12 hours after the impact and the investigators realized that the entire debris drifted really far away from the impact location. With the actual aircraft debris, there were oil slicks and eight bodies and the bodies themselves showed signs of th extreme trauma and it was clear that all 140 passengers and the 19 crew members did not survive the crash. The Investigation The investigative head of Southern Africa was Rene Fanzel and the first thing that he did was that he recovered the victim's watches and discovered and confirmed that the plane crashed at 7 minutes past 12 a.m., which was about three minutes after their last communication with air traffic control. Then he drew samples from two of the victim's bodies and he discovered that their blood and trachea had suit or as we call it in South Africa, and therefore concluded that at least two or the passengers died from smoke inhalation before the aircraft broke up and crashed. South Africa then launched Operation Resolve, whereby they used underwater locator beacons, or ULBs, which were attached to the flight recorders and were not designed for deep ocean use. And as a result, the search was abandoned on the 8th of January, 1988. That was the end of it until said fast oceaneering which is a specialist deep ocean recovery company from the united states started looking for the lost plane the crash site was found within two days and the crash site was described as being similar to that of the rms titanic and it was deeper than the salvage operation the crash site was spread out and this then indicated that the aircraft broke up in mid-air in January of 1989, the cockpit voice recorder was found at 4,900 meters or 16,100 feet below sea level. However, the flight data recorder was never found. The flight voice recorder revealed that revealed the events, however, that occurred during the flight. 28 minutes into the flight, the fire alarm rang. 14 seconds later, the aeroplane circuit breaker popped, and 81 seconds later, after the, the fire alarm rang, the CVR cable failed. The Margo Commission The Margo Commission was a commission of inquiry which was opened and it was chaired by 
Judge Cecil Mago, and this commission worked with the National Transportation Safety Board, ONTSB for short, and the aircraft's manufacturer, Boeing. The entire board consisted of Judge Cecil Mago of South Africa, Judge Hurian Gobadhan of Mauritius, George N. Tompkins of the United States, G.C. Wilkinson of the UK, Dr. Y. Funatsu of Japan, J.S.S. Jemisois of S.A., Dr. Gilead of South Africa, and finally, Col Colonel Liang Lang of Taiwan. Before we talk about the findings of the investigation, there were conspiracy theories which started to sprout. The most famous and widespread one being that terrorists brought down the plane. Because this was in the public eye, the investigators decided to search for indicators of an explosion through surface pitting, impact cavities, and spatter cavities. No evidence was found. In January of 1992, the Journal of Royal Aeronautical Society, or RAES, wanted an inquiry to be opened because the airline, being South African Airways, had allegedly confirmed that its passenger jets carried cargo for AMSO which was a South African arms agency. They then said, and I quote, It is known that the crew and passengers were overcome by a main deck cargo fire, and the ignition of missile rocket fuel is one cause now under suspicion, end quote. While this was a good point, the inquiry was not open. The third theory being that the South African Defense Force was smuggling the illegal substance red mercury on the flight for its atomic bomb project. Project Coast released a report which showed that the aeroplane contained 300 grams of activated carbon. Then a popular South African television expose show, Carte Blanche, showed how a chemist was testing a microscopic particle on a nylon net which was next to the right front pallet which caught fire. The test showed that the airflow pattern traveled at a high velocity whilst in molten state. This therefore means that the fire might not have been started from a flash fire caused by the packaging. Then a forensic scientist, David Klatso, criticized the Mago Commission for not using enough time to look into the investigation. So he decided to kind of like talk about his theories. He believed that there were irregularities in the commission transcript as he believed that they had something to hide. He also added that South Africa was under an arms embargo and this meant that South Africa had to buy firearms secretly. Now the theory is that the apartheid South African government placed a rocket into the cargo hold and the vibration caused an ignition of an unstable ammonium perchlorate, which is a chemical compound which was used as a missile propellant. The conversation of the crew gave hints that the fire started above the South China Sea shortly after takeoff. Now he believes that the information indicates that the flight voice recorder was not working for a long period of time or that the crew deliberately turned it off. Mr. Klatzer added that Captain Ace did not land the aircraft directly after the fire was declared because he knew that he would be arrested for endangering the lives of his passengers and as a result would cause major problems for South Africa as a whole 
and overall costing the country 400 million rands. Captain Ace was also a reservist, which is a person who is a member of a military reserve force. Therefore, the entire crew would be ordered to carry on and try and make it to South Africa in hopes of making it to Jan Smuts International Airport. All of these points were denied by other scientists. However, in 2014, an investigative journalist by the name of Mark D. Young speculated that a short circuit may have started the fire. Now, the possible causes of the fire. There's only one that I got honestly and it said that lithium batteries which were in the computers exploded or exponent spontaneously sorry combusted however this was not given as a conclusive cause of the fire now the possible cause for the loss in control of the airplane number one pilot incapacitation through carbon monoxide and or carbon dioxide poisoning or smoke inhalation number two the damage to the body of the airplane and the control systems was directly or indirectly caused by the fire and this is not a cause it's just related to the fire that the plane did sustain fire temperatures of 300 degrees celsius or 570 degrees fahrenheit so i honestly don't think that they would have made it to yansmats international now for the official official report so the findings start off with the takeoff protocol and they concluded that there was nothing out of the ordinary they also added that the crew was properly licensed and experienced to fly the plane a quote from the report says and i quote the substances involved in the combustion included plastic and cardboard packaging materials but the actual source of ignition cannot be determined." End quote. The report then said that there was absolutely no evidence of sabotage. Another report says, and I quote, The fire generated considerable smoke, carbon monoxide, and carbon dioxide, which penetrated to the passenger cabin and possibly to the cockpit. The fire slash smoke detection systems in the Boeing 747-244B combi main deck cargo compartment were inadequate. Although the evidence indicates that the fire slash smoke detection systems functioned, the extent to which the fire developed and the fact that smoke penetrated the passenger's cabin suggests that the fire was not discovered early enough to prevent these consequences. End quote. Finally, they agreed, however, that the firefighting facilities were inadequate and they added that and i quote the aircraft was not under control when it crashed into the sea end quote now in 1996 the truth and reconciliation commission of south africa or the trc investigated the crash again david Clatso was invited again to explain his theories and to cross-examine witnesses Mr. Klatso said that the South African Civil Aviation Authority was untrustworthy. However, in the end, they concluded that nothing in the cargo manifest could cause the fire. On the 25th anniversary, one of the victim's son, Peter Odson Jr., approached the South African Constitutional Court in an attempt to reopen the inquiry. An Australian by the name of Alan Dexter gave a statement to Mr. Odson 
claiming that he had been informed by a South African Airways manager at Taipei Airport that Flight 295 was carrying rocket fuel. The inquiry was still not open. The recommendations slash changes that were made. The Federal Aviation Administration, or the FAA, introduced new regulations in 1993, and this changed the rule that manual firefighting should be the primary means of firefighting in the cargo compartment. There were weight changes that were made for aeroplanes that carried cargo, and this heavily affected the combi. Nevertheless, South African Airways discontinued their use of the combi after the accident, but the combi still remained in the production line until 2002 when the last 747-400 combi was delivered to KLM. That is the end of our episode. I hope you really do enjoy it. Thank you so much for listening. I know I've been gone for a long time, but don't worry, I am back. Um, Yes, and I will see you in my next episode. Cheers.